This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am here with lead coach of Eat to Perform, Becky Avara. Becky, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone. Welcome. So today's podcast, we do this monthly. Um, we have, and we have a lot of people joining this particular webinar slash podcast is for new people to eat to perform. And so usually what we do in this, it tends to be more kind of basic fundamental type stuff, but you know, if you're new to macro counting or if you're, you're just trying to get back into the groove um, right now, I know you might be listening to this six months from now, but right now it's actually in September. So a lot of, back to school folks trying to kind of get things back in order after um, the summer. So I wanted to walk you through a common scenario and we talk about this a fair amount. Um, the first thing, if you're new, that you really wanna just adopt right out the gate is to schedule your food the day before. And what I mean by that is you have your macros, try and spend 10 to 15 minutes the night before on what you're going to eat. And then you go, well, Paul, I don't have anything in the refrigerator. Um, I don't really know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> That's sort of the point, right? Is that you know, what we're trying to do is set you up for the most success um, in the shortest time possible. And I think even within a week, if you don't have those things in place, now you can take three or four days. I mean, the expectation, of course, isn't for you to solve it immediately, but you certainly could, right? I mean, if you think about how we all work as human beings, you know, if you're motivated, usually it's that time that you should really press the gas, right? Because if you're motivated now, but then you're kind of confused because you don't really know what's going to fit for lunch or fit for dinner or something of that nature, use that motivation in terms of preparation, right? And so um, that, that's one of the big things that we sort of talk about. The other thing, and this is really sort of the topic, and once again, make sure you're getting me questions. So far, we don't have any questions. Um, this is really a Q&A session. It's not only a Q&A session like the one next week, but um, the other thing that comes up fairly often is you go through summer and, you know, on the weekends, you sort of loosen things up and then for the other five days, you really just solid it up or you're intermittent fasting or you're low carb. And ultimately it just ends up being low calories for five days. And then you probably aren't doing it near as bad as you thought on the weekends, right? So what happens in that scenario is that you're actually still kind of under eating. And so let me give you an example calorie wise, you know, um, so uh, maybe, you know, in the past, you felt more comfortable with something like intermittent fasting. So you go out on the weekend, you know, you're going to do it up well. So you don't eat until three o'clock. Um, by the time it's three o'clock, you know, you're not exactly like crushing it calorie wise, but you have a little snack to get you over to dinner. And then dinner, you're conscious, but, but you're still enjoying yourself. Then if you overreact the other five days or, or you do, you know, another similar day, but then overreact the other five days, usually your calorie average, let's say might land at about 1750 to 1800. That is not the kind of calorie average that's going to get you an extreme result. Now I understand there's a lot of people on this call that are like, no, dude, Trust me, it was Dairy Queen every night, you know, wine and beer and totally cool. Um, I think as eat performers, one of the advantages, you know, I'm seeing a, a, a trainer on here. When I started 
with serious fitness and I remember joining my first gym and within, I would say four weeks, they had like a paleo challenge. You know, this was when paleo was the thing. Um, I, I don't really think paleo is a thing now, but um, you know, if you use paleo to kind of improve upon some habits, it can be a relatively good thing. Um, but nowadays, you know, people have moved on to intermittent fasting and then keto was always sort of a thing. And most people were kind of doing paleo like keto anyway. And so um, what the, the challenge was actually very strict. And so just to be part of the group, I joined into the challenge. Now, I knew a lot about nutrition at that point. And so um, within about a week of, you know, the really restrictive challenge, I already started to notice some bad behaviors, you know, just the way that I was thinking about food and stuff like this. And then um, I asked my family to sort of join in with me and everyone agreed in the beginning, you know, because they thought it would be fun. And very quickly, you know, there was all these simple rules like you can't eat ketchup and, you know, you couldn't put butter on things and stuff like that because it was dairy, you know. And within six days, I think it was, you know, we ended up quitting um, just because it's unnecessary, right? And the thing that I remembered most about it, and, and this is why I'm bringing up the, the gym and trainers, is that. I didn't join that gym to also starve myself, right? I mean, I had lost a hundred pounds at that point. And so I joined that gym so I could learn to eat a little bit more flexibly as we go, right? And it just seemed like it was sort of against the whole idea of why you work out in the first place. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, the at my gym especially at that time a lot of people did have some bad habits I, re I remember actually this was this was a year ago and and they were sort of setting people up for better habits and they said this week no fast food and I was just like so what's next week gonna be no smoking cigarettes you know like fast food is, is obvious to anyone, right? Um, so if you're in like a, a challenge or something of that nature, I, I don't feel like say, staying away from fast food, but it did sort of point out the mentality that was prevalent, right? In the leaders of the gym, um, especially early on, there was never really any, any talking about alcohol. Um, one of the things that, that I would suggest that all of you, if you are consuming alcohol, you can consume alcohol. There are formulas and stuff you'll hear from people in the group and from the coaches on how to calculate because it actually alcohol metabolizes more similar to fat than it does carbohydrates. But if you can, you really want to abstain from it for six weeks. Now that's a drastic shift from the way that uh, we used to believe or we used to counsel people because I've always been a big believer that you should you know, plan like what the plan's going to be when you aren't dieting, right? The difference being alcohol is when alcohol is present, one, you know, you have a bad day and, and the floodgates can open, it's, it's almost better to abstain in that instance. Um, but also, the, it, it does artificially hold your weight up, kind of depending on what you're drinking and things of this nature. So at the very least, we would suggest that you moderate relatively, um, relatively heavily in that process. Because, you know, I know many of you are new and, and kind of aren't, you know, fully indoctrinated into what we do yet. But, you know, the reason why we have these short cycles is so that you can do an uncomfortable thing 
in a relatively short period of time, right? And, and the fact that food does come back eventually, I think is one of the things that really separates us from a lot of other places because you'll see people in the groups talking about fat loss one and fat loss two and these cycles are ending and things of this nature. And they're looking forward to getting their food back. I'm sure this is not your first diet. I'm sure you've, you've probably been in many other dieting groups and things like that. That's something you don't hear, right? Because the way that most other diets and diet programs work is that food stays low. And so you, what you hear is more, oh, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, right? And it's kind of a lifestyle of under eating most of the time. And so they might say that you can kind of fit it in, but then you're fitting in like, you know, sugar-free jello and, and things that, you know, aren't quite, you know, chocolate bars, <laughs> you know, like what you want to be able to do is on date nights, have some wine, have some pizza, pasta, things that you enjoy. And then you have the calories where your body can handle it, right? And that is actually, I know many of you probably start off in fat loss. Really, eat to perform is in performance. It's when the food is higher. So even though many of you do choose fat loss and do get a great result um, in the beginning, uh, ultimately, what we consider eat to perform is when food comes back. Um, lastly, the thing that I'm going to bring up is that, um, uh -oh, that Carla is somehow unmuted. So the um, other thing that uh, we need to bring up is that, uh, and kind of finish the thought, I'm sorry, I lost track of, of, of what I was saying earlier, but I was going through the you know, weekends where you kind of do things a little bit, but not that much. And then you have two days where, you know, you, you eat a little bit more flexibly. So your calories really weren't that high. Usually within, I would say 10 days to two weeks, we will already know whether or not you had come to us sort of under eating right now. I want to throw out one caveat with that. And the big caveat is that we, the reason why we tell you to plan the day before is we sort of need those greens from you, meaning, meaning following the plan with, you know, 90 to 100%, you know, accuracy. We need that to know what adjustments to make and, and why, right? So if we see that you're being green for the first 10 days, you just came in super fired up and you know, you're not really seeing a lot of weight loss that tells us that you came to us under eating. Yes, the macros are a little bit higher, but, and, and, and they do strategically move down as you go. But what you'll see is that, or what we see, Becky and I, um, and all the other coaches, is that if you don't see weight loss in the first macros, the rest of the time down, is going to be like pulling teeth, right? You should see three to five pounds of weight loss in the first macros. Now, does that happen in the first, you know, 10, to, 10 days to two weeks? No, but usually by, by week three, that should be about where you should be. And if not, you came to us under eating. Becky, am I saying that correctly? Would, you, would, would there be any caveats you would add to that? Um, no, I think you put it all really well, and that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, because I, I think that, I think what happens is people go, well, you know, these calories are really high, and, you know, it's not surprising me that I'm not losing weight. What people don't realize is that you know, if you have a baseline plan that's around 1,615 cal 1,650 calories on an average, even if we go down to 1,200, you know, you're only going to gain around, you know, three, maybe six at the most, right? We're really trying to get you somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10 to 12 um, pounds of loss 
within both cycles, right? So, you know, if you're, if you're kind of leaner, the goal for both cycles might be around 15, if you have a little bit more um, weight to lose, um, but you're in relatively good shape, probably looking at about 20. And we do routinely see, you know, 25 to 30, if somebody was really overdoing it, right? So we have the luxury of literally dealing with tens of thousands of clients and seeing how everyone reacts to things a little bit differently. But what the one thing that I think is going to surprise all of you that is sort of baked in for us that we almost forget about it is that it's really the moving up and down that will change the way that you view food, right? Because what you're going to realize is that as we move food up, the body actually handles that really well. And as you move food down, you, send, you tend to want like a bigger result than actually ends up happening as the cycles move farther and farther, right? If you came to us and it was Dairy Queen every night and wine and beer and, and things of this nature, that first 25 to 30 pounds will come off really easily. But as we move you to AP and PR, and then um, we start to rinse and repeat the cycles a little bit, what you'll see is that, you know, 25 to 30 goes down to 15 to 20. And I know there's some of you that are 115 pounds going, oh my goodness, 20 pounds. It's like, no, no, no. If you're 115 pounds, the rules are different. I'm just talking about someone that's coming and really trying to go all the way, you know, to, you know, an end goal that maybe they couldn't envision before that. So, all right, Becky, um, I'm going to check. I think somebody might have DM me if you could, uh, make sure that all of the questions are live or sent directly to Becky, not to me, because I am doing the podcast. Okay. Um, Pat asked, should I match my workout days with food days, i.e. high workout on high food day, low workout for a low food day? So I'm sorry, can you repeat that, please? Should I match my workout days? Oh, wait. Uh, should I match my workout days with food days, i.e. high workout on high food day, low workout for low food day? So you can. Um, I'm going to tell you something that will blow you away. Um, mostly, it doesn't matter. Um, the science is very clear on this, that your body figures it out one way or the other. That, that said, what happens is... Um, you do need acute energy, right? And this is why a lot of this ended up happening, right? So you have your traditional diet program, your Weight Watchers and, you know, Slim Fast and things of this nature. Most of those are not geared around workouts. But once you start to get into, you know, the fourth and fifth diet, what you'll start to hear is that you should put carbohydrates around your workouts and things of this nature. That's just so that you feel somewhat the will to go to the gym, right? Um, and what happens if you don't do it the way that we do it is that people, for the most part, just put around the, the, their workouts and almost nothing else. When we start you off, we're not starting you off with macros that are particularly low. Right. So most of the programs that are going to recommend putting workout uh, carbohydrates around your workouts, the calories are actually quite low. And so it is it beneficial for acute? No. Is it beneficial or I'm sorry, is it beneficial for acute energy? Yes, it is. Is it beneficial for the nutrients to load into your muscles and into your cells and stuff like that. No, that takes up to 24 hours a day. So that brings me to my, my thing that I think most people won't know is that your high day should not be the day that you work out the most. Now, I will say that if you're a long endurance athlete, 
there's probably an argument for your high day and and your super day to be around your longest runs. And I'm talking about like 15 to 20 miles, right? Um, if we're talking about like two to three miles, you probably don't need that much acute energy and your body will be able to handle it. But my biggest volume days are after my high day and my super day, right? Because what you want is you want the nutrients to load. And this becomes much more, I mean, what you're going to figure out with Eat to Perform is that we really set this up as a lifetime solution for you, right? And so what you're going to find once you move to, to PR, because, uh, you know, obviously when everybody starts off, all they're thinking about fat loss. The real magic of Eat to Perform is teaching you how to eat when you're not in fat loss, because that's where most of us fail. Right. And so, um, but my biggest volume day is almost always after my super day because that's when the majority of my um, calories are. And then the other, um, the high day, I use as kind of a hybrid day. I can go one way or the other. Right. It's not always big volume, but sometimes it can be. Usually, if you're doing more hypertrophy work where you're in the gym doing lots of sets and reps. You really want to set those after the day after your high and super day. Also, there was some, uh, I, I don't know who the person's real name is, but it's um, Zip. They sent me a direct message. Um, if you could send that to Becky, I would appreciate that. And I think she's probably going to answer that without having me read it, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. I, hopefully that answered the question. Okay, the next one is, so I didn't come to you under eating, pretty familiar with planning and macro tracking. I saw a four pound loss in two weeks, but struggled because calories were so much lower than what I was used to. So we switched me to PR. I have a lot of questions on PR and how to be successful. Before I came to you, I was already when in what I call maintenance PR, body recomp but progress had stalled, so clearly something needed to change. I can't figure out from the information my coach has given me so far uh, on how this PR will be different from what I've been doing, and so I can start to see some success. I'm clearly stuck right now. Could you talk more on PR? Well, so, so PR is not a weight loss. You know, um, seeing four pounds of, of weight loss in the beginning, you know, isn't like I said, you know, we would normally expect a little bit more. What I would like to know uh, is what your calories were in maintenance, right? Um, because I think I sort of addressed this, but, you know, it was a little bit long-winded. But if I knew what your calories were in what you considered maintenance, that would help me a lot. So if we can get that, maybe we move on to another one unless they've got it back to us relatively quickly. She says 1980 to 2200 with 120 to 130 protein. Okay, so that is pretty good. Um, it's, it's not, it doesn't blow me away, right? When you talk about somebody over consuming where they would lose, you know, let's say 12 pounds in a, in a cycle, usually, you know, it would be a female eating anywhere from 2,500 to 3,000. That said, you know, that def definitely shows a direction. Um, I'd probably be a little bit curious whether or not, you know, in the 1980 to 2200, was it always strictly like that, right? So how many days were at 2200? You know, were you in a situation where as if your weight went up, that, you know, you adjusted calories down drastically as a result, right? Because a lot of times that will happen. We even see that within each form, right? Where, you know, especially early on, when people don't have a full understanding, they do intervene a little bit more and kind of hurt their progress. Um, in terms of, you know, what your progress would look like in performance, it's gonna be very difficult to build enough muscle 
to see, you know, a result in the mirror, especially in the short term. Like the people on this phone call, if you're watching this um, or this webinar, if you're watching this uh, or listening to this as a podcast, you know, these are people that are within the first six weeks of starting, right? So saying you're stuck, right? Um, and, you know, these kinds of things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's a, a real reflection of kind of the long-term view, right? You're going to have to be a little bit patient as we talk about this. But like, like I said earlier, 1980, 1980 to 2200 does show that you were trying to um, be very serious about upping calories, right? And so normally what happens with maintenance, especially for people coming from other programs, is they end up, you know, eating 1,100, 1,200 calories, and they add two to 300 calories, and they only end up at 13 to 1,400. So I was expecting to hear a little bit lower, so it's good to know that um, what you said. The other thing that I think happens is a lot of times people work out differently than the results they actually want, right? So if you're doing something like CrossFit or running or something like that, but you're trying to see your abs, you can move to more hypertrophy pump style workouts and see like a real big result. The thing that I would caution people in that regard is that it's nice to you know, look good when you when your clothes are off, right? But I think you'll look better with your clothes off if you consistently do things that you love, right? I think, you know, you can get too rigid with this kind of thing where you focus a little bit too much on an aesthetic and not so much on what would be sustainable for life. Right. So that would be the only thing that I would I would be careful of. So like in my example, I'll do sets and reps about twice a week. And then pretty much every other day of the week, I play pickleball, just to be honest with you. I know there's probably a lot of people that are tired of hearing about pickleball, but I love pickleball. Um, and so um, but that's what that's what gets me you know, out of the house. It's, it's what allows me to do things that I enjoy. And I think that the more you can focus on things that you enjoy, the better result that you're ultimately going to have. Were there any follow-ups, Becky, that she added? No, I don't think okay. so. I did want to add that if we are able to build up higher than that NPR, then when you go back to fat loss, then we can start at a little bit higher numbers. The idea is to be able to get that deficit so that we make sure to get you success in a fat loss cycle because there's no use in being in a deficit and getting nothing done. And 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 what's that number look like? It probably it, like if if you were only down four pounds after. Um, the first phase, it probably means that your calories need to be higher than 2,200. It also probably means that you probably work out a lot, right? I think she so, said she was down four pounds in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's like borderline, right? Um, when you say, Becky, on whether or not, you know, we would re recommend they stay or not, um, my guess is, you know, just from everything that you're saying, it sounds like you probably work out a lot, right? So if you work out a lot, it might surprise you, but you could probably get away with 25 to 2,800 calories. And when we move to fat loss, we can then look at a significant, if you're only lost four pounds and your calories were at 2,200, and I understand that your calories are probably 2,200 on your most flexible day and then probably lower on a lot of the other days, um, but that's really how you, you build muscle, right? So, so the, the slept on piece of eat to perform is the part where your calories. And I know a lot of people are listening to this or on this call are going, oh my goodness, you know, is he going to try and get me to eat 25 to 2,800? No, like every situation is different to the person, right? If this is a person that's working out quite a bit, you know, 
um, we're going to try and match the fuel to the workouts. And so if in performance slash recomp, what we're trying to do is replace, you know, fat with lean muscle. And the only way that you get to do that is to have surpluses on certain days, right? And so when you're eating more, see, this is the problem with a lot of the folks that end up doing lots of sets and reps and, and they're, they're doing split days and, and, and sometimes they're doing legs and sometimes they're doing back and all these different types of things. But if they're always under eating, they're never really putting their body in, a, uh, in an opportunity to actually um, add mass and, and take away fat in that process. And so, like I said, is that something that you're going to see in four weeks? No, that's something that's really going to take a bit. And I think that, and I was thinking about this actually before the podcast, is I think that a lot of people um, start this with the idea of, okay, now I need to eat more food so that I can get a diet cycle that really works. That is true. That is part of what can eventually happen. But what really happens is it makes all the things that you do much more effective, right? So if you've been following for some time, I talk about this a lot, that you exercise to get better at exercise. And what does that mean? Well, what that means is if you're doing sets and reps for size, you are getting better at exercise and your body will then show it right? But if you're under eating, your body won't show it and you're going to struggle lifting more weights or lifting um, weights longer, things of that nature, right? So that's the basic idea. But, you know, I think if you would ask me or if you would ask Becky, and if you ask any of long-term eating performers, the whole I'm doing this to finally lose weight, it's it's a very, very small piece of, of the, the bigger picture, right? And I would say it's really only about 10%. You know, the, the big thing that you see is that the look in the mirror really starts to change when you start using fuel appropriately, right, with what you're doing. Okay. Um... I've been with ETP for two weeks and lost two pounds. Should I switch to PR? My coach has recommended another drop in calories for week three, but not much change in weight yet. I would, I would move to PR. Um, I, I think, you know, this is actually going to be um, the, uh, the topic of one of the meetings next week. It's actually... Life, it's for lifetime clients, but it's really more of an advanced um, idea. And so um, what I would suggest there is to move into PR. And ideally, you want to stay there until January 1st. I understand that you might get a little itchy between now and January 1st, because obviously that's, you know, four months away. Is that right? September, October, November, December. Yeah, four months away. So in between then, we do have a few tricks and stuff that we might be able to, to pass along that will help. Um, but I mean, realistically, when we're talking about full recovery from a lifetime of dieting, and it sounds like you were going at it pretty hard, four weeks is, or four months is kind of the minimum, right? So the, the, the current thought process science-wise is that you should be not dieting as long as you were dieting. And if you're like, oh my goodness, I've been dieting for the last 20 years. What, what that statement is, we're talking about smart dieting, right? Smart dieting uses cycles, you know, all, everything that you're doing has been tested by bodybuilders for the last, you know, 80 years, right? Um, so it works, it's been tested. There's all the science related to bringing calories up, bringing calories down, 
none of that's particularly new. What is particularly new is applying it to 35 to, to 60 year old women because most of you um, have kind of fallen prey to the diet industry along the way. And what that means is, is that you never really taken diet breaks. So to say to that person, you can't diet for another 20 years, I'm not sure that's correct, right? What that statement is really talking about is something like eat to perform where you, you do like a three month cut and then you wanna make sure that you at least take a diet break for three months, right? And I think the example earlier is a real good example where she's talking about 1980 to 2200, but still sort of struggling to lose weight. It's, it's partially the calories, but it's also partially the time at those calories, right? So as we move you up, one of the things that we're gonna do is move you up gradually so we don't freak you out, right? So we might not get you anywhere near 2000 for a month, right? Maybe even a little bit longer. So then, you know, if you really think about it, we really only have three months. Does that mean that you shouldn't then cut in January? No, like, like I think there was a question that was asked to me on the front page and the person said that they came from a really super low, like below thousand calories and then once they started moving calories back to normal, they gained seven pounds. You know, oftentimes they don't talk about all the weight that they lost previous to that, right? Because the lower you go, um, especially once you go under a thousand pounds, the rebound is much more acute. But they were very concerned about weight gain. And, you know, to me, if your goal, it, you know, if, if, you come from a fat loss cycle and you lose 20 to 30 pounds and your weight has to fluctuate three to five pounds to lose another 20, that should be a trade everyone on this call should be willing to make. But even if there was no result at all, the fix has to be the medicine you always take, right? Because what happens from a coaching standpoint is we'll have people say to us, you know, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to need to take a break. What they're really saying is, is I'm going to go back to under eating again, right? So what that means is, is they're more comfortable staying kind of in the middle of where the results actually lie, right? Like they're, don't, they're not ready to take the medicine. And you have to be able to take the medicine. And I, I, I hate saying the word medicine because you know, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna like confuse it, but it really is a good metaphor for what we're describing, right? What we need to make sure we're doing is doing things for the right way, right reason without the expectation of, you know, is this going to get me 30 pounds of weight loss? I mean, if you're basing it on your weight when you were 27 and you've gained 15 pounds of muscle, we need to add 15 pounds to that number. And people don't do that, right? Because for the most part, dieting gets really frustrating and you know, we quit weighing ourselves, we quit tracking our food, you know, all these different things because None of us have been trained to do things the way that the eat to perform way is where food actually comes back, which once again, that's the hard part. And we all know that's the hard part because what happens is, is we like enjoying our life. We like going to date night. And I'm not even talking about where you're abusing food. I'm just talking about eating food semi-normal. Even with eat to perform, you will have to manage your weight eventually, right? But you just manage it less and you're eating more most of the time. Most people try to manage their weight by just under eating all the time 
and then constantly let themselves down or constantly feel guilty about going out on the weekends or birthdays or eating birthday cake or something of this nature, when those things aren't the real problem, right? The real problem is, is you need to take the medicine, whether or not, you know, you're seeing a specific result from taking that medicine right then and there, right? And so most of you know, if you came to us under eating, and I, I hate kind of, you know, focusing on the under eating piece, because there's many of you that didn't come to us under eating, right? But the under eaters are the ones that struggle the most with this particular question, right? So I would highly encourage you to take it all the way to January to really reevaluate your activity and make sure that in that process, you're taking the medicine the whole time, right? Because it's important. And it's important for reasons other than just, you know, acute weight loss at the time. P.S. Can you lose weight in AP and PR? I'm just going to say no, right? Because I think mentally, it's better for you if I say no. Are there people that do it? Absolutely. Effort always matters. If you were eating 1,100 calories for the last 15 years, and now when eating 20 calories, you're just crushing every workout and things of this nature, you might see weight loss, right? Um, and, and there's an intersection that sort of works. But I think having that, that intersection dominate you to the point where you feel like you need to earn food, you don't need to earn food. Your body actually wants to be at these food levels and it's wanted to be there all along, right? And so I like people to think about AP and PR. Now, should you be gaining weight? I really think that, you know, the discussion that I had earlier um, is relevant to this. The majority of the time you should be relatively weight stable. The problem is for many of you, you wanna stay weight stable every day right? The, the day that you want to focus on is the morning of your super day, right? So you, you have a low day going into your super day, you weigh yourself that morning, that is your baseline weight that every coach is looking at for, for eating form. We're one of the only programs that exists on this planet that can actually predict your lowest weight with a high degree of certainty, right? I mean, you know, are there fluctuations for women? Certainly, you know, time of month will, will matter um, on menstruation. I'm sorry, um, will matter. Um, certainly, if you had a lot of sodium on your low day, that will matter. So there's a lot of things that can factor in. But in general, what we're looking for is not the fluctuation intra-week. We're looking for the weight on that particular day to see how you're responding to the program so that we can make adjustments as we go. Um, the next question is, can you rearrange high, medium, low days? I am an endurance athlete and have three days of high volume together. Right now I have my super day the day before my highest volume day. So there is a low day on a high volume day. So is, um, are you in training and are you in fat? That was my question too. Yeah, because, because you shouldn't be in fat loss is the answer, right? You should be in performance. And then what we should do is move you to fat loss because most, most runners, the season is about to end, right? So why not just wait two to three weeks? Let's move you to PR for a little bit, really get everything that we can, um, so the answer is really no, because it, it's really based on calorie average, right? And so trying to match it up and things like that. I mean, I talked about this earlier. Most people actually think of it wrong. You should actually have your high and super days actually the days before. Now, you know, can you talk to your coach? Yeah, but once again, I mean, what we see with endurance athletes in general is that when they try to do fat loss um, in combination with training, it, it's a shit show and it doesn't work. 
right? Um, because you're you're basically so dieting is basically stress. It's it's your body's response to that stress that allows you lipolysis, right? Where you're um, you're um, mobilizing stored bodily fat. Adding additional stress with training and and long workouts, you know, is is another form of stress. And once again, exercise is a good form of stress because it allows you to adapt to that stress. But what you don't want to do is have stress on stress on stress, right? You want to kind of move them separately. So as your volume changes, that is a good time for fat loss. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you certainly can talk to your coach and you can have your low day the, the day after and you won't seem like it's green for that day or something of that nature. But really, it ends up being about a calorie average. And what we see with long endurance athletes is that you're just going to end up very frustrated because your body's going to hold on to um, water, it's going to hold on to weight, you know, as a, as a response to that additional stress. Um, what if you just aren't hungry? Do you still try to force down the calories that day? So I'm never going to say to you that you should force down the calories, but, but to suggest that you don't control your hunger signaling, that's wrong, right? Why do all these other programs focus on, you know, high levels of protein, high levels of vegetables, things of this nature? The, it's because those blunt your hunger signaling. So you saying to me, I'm blunting my hunger signaling, so I'm not hungry. So I, should I continue to undereat? Well, the answer is, do you want to take the medicine, right? I mean, if you were here for that earlier part, you're going to have to add some energy dense foods. This is, this actually, it's funny because I talked about this earlier. I hope you were here for that about paleo, right? So back in the day, you know, when paleo was a thing, we had to make a lot of these rules about fiber because people, people were, you know, their fiber would be at like 91 and 102 and they didn't have any usable, you know, carbohydrates for energy. And so the answer to your question is if you're blunting your hunger signaling and you're asking me if you should stop blunting your hunger signaling, I would say yes. Right. But if you're in fat loss and it sounds like you are in fat loss, right. And you're already struggling. You're, you have a mind shift change that I really hope you can get past, but for a lot of people, it's insurmountable to be completely honest with you. You're in for a heck of a mind shift change because, you know, if, if you can't, get to that place where food is in alley. And I'm, I'm not talking about like, I like broccoli, right? I'm talking about foods that have calories, right? When we talk about intermittent fasting and keto and, and low fat diets and high fat diets and things of this nature, what are we really talking about? We're really talking about calories in general, right? And so if we can manipulate those calories occasionally, we can do that to get a result. But the not occasionally part is where you're supposed to be eating foods in an abundant amount so that your body thrives. So to suggest that you don't play a role in that scenario would be incorrect, right? A lot of the foods that you have on the naughty list actually aren't naughty. White rice, not naughty, right? Um, the, I mean, really, the, I, I don't really consider any food naughty, you know, necessarily. Certainly alcohol would be naughty, right? But can it be useful um, during a celebration? Can it be useful on date night? I mean, in case you guys hadn't figured out, um, <laughs> my wife drinks wine on date night. I don't personally drink, um, but um, actually, you know, it's, it's sort of funny. I don't think I got to tell you this, Becky, but this, uh, we're here in Ojai, California. And uh, the other night I went out and I ordered a kombucha 
and uh, the, the kombucha. Um, I don't know if anybody, I'm sure many of you have, have consumed kombucha, but it tastes like alcohol in a lot of instances, right? And it, and it does contain a small amount of alcohol, but really not enough to be worried about. Um, this was different. This one tasted more like alcohol than normal. And so my daughter went in to ask, I was like, I, I need to know. And, and it had 6% alcohol and I swallowed it, right? And so my daughter thought it would be funny to say to the, the person um, who was like, yeah, it's got 6% alcohol. Is it a problem? He's like, well, my daughter, my daughter who is very funny um, goes, well, it's not a problem if you just want to discount 35 years of sobriety. <laughs> And the guy was like, oh, my God, you know, um, and uh, it, it was a whole thing. But uh, yeah, so so alcohol is one of those things that's technically on the naughty list. But, you know, it, it, I, I feel like there's you know, I was thinking about this the other day because we were we were out eating and we're in a place where there's a lot of retirees and we're at this pasta place. And I mean, we had to wait. 20 minutes to get a seat. I mean, I thought everybody was doing keto. I thought everybody was doing low carb. And it's sort of funny because when you're in these vacation scenarios or when you're in, you go into restaurants and things of this nature, you sort of see the true nature of who we all want to be, right? I mean, to my right, there's, and I wrote an article about this the other day. So you probably, if you've heard of this, hopefully it's not too redundant. But the ladies to the right, they're all over 70. And, and I mean, it was just so funny because they're eating pasta and strawberry shortcake and, and all these different things. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, that's who I want to be when I'm 70. I don't want to be this person that feels that I need to like burn all my calories off nonstop. And I think the good majority of people, actually, if they were truthful with themselves, what they would say is, that's who I want to be also. Now, are there some 70-year-old women that probably are still, you know, eating less because they come from like the Weight Watchers world in 1960s and things of that nature? I'm absolutely certain that that is true. But I think by the time you're 70, I think you're like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy myself. You know, and I think that that's something that's aspirational for all of us. And I think if you're at the stage where you're, you know, seriously considering making this a lifetime commitment, that's where it's not just about weight loss. It's also about your mentality. It's also about, you know, that freedom that allows you, you know, if you think about, you know, um, most of the people on this call are women. Um, when I was a young boy, my grandmother was always on a diet. That was like, she was the, that was the genesis of Weight Watchers. Right. And I, all I remember was her eating tomatoes and cottage cheese all the time. Did that color me as a human being? It colored me as a human being so much that I created Eat to Perform. Right. Like. Everything that you do is seen by other people that matter to you, right? And what you want to be is the person that models healthy behavior related to food. I'm not suggesting, you know, there's this idea, you know, in the low carb community, anytime you talk about carbs, they, they talk about high carbs. Well, what about moderate carbs? Why is nobody ever talking about moderate carbs? Because if you're trying to sell someone on like hocus pocus, right? You have to convince them of things that aren't correct, right? You can certainly have moderate carbs and be fine, right? And so I really think that, you know, a large part of what you guys are, are starting to get into, and, and we're gonna lose some of you guys, right? Because some of you aren't ready, right? And I really, like I said, I hope that the lady with the hunger signaling, I hope she's ready, but it's a big adjustment, right? To move from that place where food is kind of the enemy, right? And it's all about 
mostly whole foods and things of this nature. I'm a monstrous fan of whole foods. I just went to the grocery store, bought a whole bunch of whole foods. I'm going to the, the farmer's market this weekend. I will buy a bunch of whole foods. But getting so focused on whole foods that it doesn't allow flexibility is going to work against you. Becky, can you take over the question? I got to switch headphones. The next question was about um, AP and PR. And AP is adaptation prevention. And that is what we do in between fat loss cycles. And that is to give you a little bit of mental stamina to be able to continue with the lower calories as we head into uh, fat loss too. It also causes your metabolism to start to speed up. And that way we can help you to continue to be successful in the next fat loss phase. Uh, PR is performance recomp. And that is where we head to normalize calories. We have an AP that we build up. That's after fat loss too. And that's the time that we're building up a little bit faster than you are in PR. And then once you get to PR, then we look at increasing your calories and keeping you relatively weight stable. Keyword there is relatively. As he just said, you're not going to be at your lowest weight all the time. Your weight is going to fluctuate some. Everyone's weight does that, especially as women and with hormones and things like that, then our weight definitely fluctuates. But PR but is more about uh, being able to focus on being healthy, giving our body the nutrients that it needs, that it's craving, that those normalized calories were not meant to undereat all the time. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah. And so, you know, the, um, I think, you know, longtime eat performers know that, that we could predict your lowest weight of the week. Um, but from your standpoint, you know, I know a lot of you, you know, weight fluctuate, weight fluctuations in general can be really frustrating. But if you knew that that one day a week, you know, your weight would tend to be the lowest, I think that that helps you. I think also, you know, and, and, you know, I still have kind of a handful of clients and not all of them weigh the, themselves every single day, but, you know, one of them, I, I, you know, she was, she got frustrated at, at her weight on one day and, I said, well, we can keep doing it the way that you want to do it, right? Because you, you, you said you had problems. And so I, so I honored that. But how do we know that we weren't lower two days ago, right? How do we know that you weren't responding? When you look at high, medium, low, and super days, they all correspond with weight either going up or kind of staying steady. It seems logical, right, that after your super day, you should be at your highest weight for the week, right? That should make sense to everyone. But what you don't know is that you should be working back down for the rest of the week, right? And there will be fluctuation within all of that. And usually... Um, in the in the first couple weeks, you can like like I said, you could probably expect up to two pounds. Sometimes a little bit more because of water weight, right? And water weight's important, by the way. A lot of people discount water weight and they go, "Oh, I just lost five pounds. It's water weight." Well, until we lose the water weight, we're not really dealing with fat, right? And <laughs> Becky's laughing because we had a conversation about water weight the other day. Um, all right, so. Uh, Lightning round here. I've got to get my wife to this art class. Um, let's see. When is the decision made to move from fat loss to another program? To another program? Like um, from fat loss to PR, I think is what she's asking. So it's very, it's very defined. Um, it's six weeks, right? Um, and the only difference would be typically in fat loss one, we don't really vary too much um, just because we have the opportunity in fat loss too. Um, your coach does have the discretion to continue on, but they won't continue on if your weight has been stalled from week four to week six, right? 
it's only if you're still losing a pound and two pounds a week that they will allow you to kind of kind of move on. Um, there's a million reasons why a coach would allow you to do that. But if you're stalled and you ask your coach to give you one week to see if you're going to break the dam, you're not going to break the dam. The, the, you know, the way that weight loss works, you know, this idea that, you know, you just bang on the wall and all of a sudden you're going to lose five pounds. I mean, I'm not saying some people, you know, don't go to Vegas and become rich, but most people go come back home broke, right? There's trends that we see as we're going through this. And what we can do for you is to enlighten you as it relates to that trend, rather than having you still wish that your weight's going to continue to go down. We know that we can then move calories back to normal and then get things restarted again. So very defined. Um, AP can be, uh, you know, it's meant to be three weeks, but that can go to four to five weeks, depending on how you're responding, because the goal from your coach is to keep you weight stable as you go. So if you're listening to this and you're in week four, week five, what I would challenge you to think is that your cycle is actually eight weeks because as you come out, people go, oh, six weeks, one day. That's my beer and cheesecake day. Your beer and cheesecake day, probably wait till eight weeks in one day, once your calories are somewhat normalized. And then, you know, we can have the beer and cheesecake and go into fat loss too. But you do not want to have beer and cheesecake um, the day after your fat loss cycle ends because your body's not ready for it at that moment. You want to get calories high enough to where your body can handle it a little bit better. Um, I really think that was about it. Uh, Sandra, I will message you and answer your question. Okay, perfect. Um, we have one person coming in late. Unfortunately, we're ending. So it's very possible that um, time zones were off or something. But um, a lot of great questions. I really, really appreciated it. But I really, the challenge that I really want you all to take on is lose the idea that you aren't in control, right? What we're really trying to give you with this idea of normalizing your food, and I understand that we all have a complicated relationship with food. Becky and I, we're not independent of that, right? We all feel it when the scale is up and it's not fun. Doesn't mean that, you know, those things aren't showing you trends that can't help. But um, yeah, great questions. Hopefully, you know, I think once your relationship with me, um, what you're gonna find with your relationship with me, with your relationship with Becky and, and hopefully your relationship with your coach is that we're just gonna always tell you the truth, right? And sometimes it's kind of hard to hear that truth. You know, like the, the lady who, you know, may have been blunting hunger signaling for a while, right? The, um, we need to make sure that in that moment, um, we're starting to add back in some of those foods that you were taking away and we're starting to view food as an ally again. And so that's the way that we fix the struggle long-term. And when, you know, it's always interesting because we're, you know, we're offering lifetime here next week. And we have a lot of, lot of clients that, that sign up for lifetime. You know, we offer it every six months or so. The, um, the big thing that you hear with Lifetime is how all of this has changed their relationship with food. And that's interesting to me because, you know, I think we're the best system out there for um, not just weight loss, because, you know, really fat loss, right? Where, you know, you're leaning out as you go. And it's also a really good fit for just, you know, regular folks, 
right? Because we all know if we worked out six hours a day um, that we could probably get a certain measure of fit. I mean, all the people on Instagram, you know, that are making money as an influencer or trying to make money as an influencer, that's their job, right? So if it was your job, you know, you'd be better at it too. I think what we cater towards is the lawyer, the doctor, the mom, the nurse, right? Like all these things and then customize the program for those folks. And, and I think we're the best at it. And the reason why I think we're the best at it is no one's necessarily trying to beat us in the area that's most important. And that's the part where food is normal most of the time. And so when people say we've changed their relationship with food, I certainly like that, right? But it also sort of discounts exactly how good we are at our jobs. And, and I really think that, you know, over the course of the last 10 years, we've developed a, a system that works really, really well, you know? And what's nice for many of you that's just starting out is you can look back at the pictures over the last 10 years. You can go to the page and look at, at the pictures or go to Instagram where it's a little bit more, you know, we feature a bigger array of clients. Um, but yeah, like I said, just go into the private group and look at the photos. Whenever you're feeling like, oh, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Go look at the last nine years and see the changes that people have made in their life and, and it will be super motivating. So I appreciate everybody being here. I appreciate you taking time out of your day, Becky, to, to help me with this. And we'll talk to everyone later. Bye now.